Life is full of transitions, even with the ownership of your pharmacy. You may be thinking about succession planning, retiring, or buying another pharmacy. Well, the Cardinal Health Pharmacy Transition Team has you covered. We provide consultation to all community pharmacies. The sooner you can form your plan, the better. We are here to help your pharmacy learn more about opportunities for buyers and sellers, become informed of your financing options, and leave your patients and employees in good hands. Please stop by the Pharmacy Transition booth located on the RBC showroom floor to learn more. listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Not that the pharmacists that are out there, I mean, pharmacists understand this. You have challenges specifically to what you're doing. You could be in community pharmacy, long-term care, health system, it doesn't matter. You're multi- you're, you're you're managing these multiple challenges. Same thing in the world of biosimilars. We're talking about regulatory issues and unique formulary management considerations. Um, I would think forecasting coverage um, is going to be a big issue. Also reimbursement. We also, I mean, educating our providers. And that's why I'm so excited about today's episode. Let's talk about educating fellow pharmacists about biosimilars application, administration, planning, timing. But let's also talk about developing content. And this is a shout out to pharmacists who love um, the rare disease states as well as biosimilars and the proper application. But this is a shout out to you. If you wanna come on the Pharmacy Podcast Network and develop some really interesting content around biosimilars, let's talk about how reimbursement is is sensitive and, and when they're used and why they're used. I mean, this is uh, an FDA-approved um, entity, approved biologic, known as the reference product and referenceable products. And I need to have expertise on our network deliver. You know what's going on and what's evolving. So having Dr. Sonia Osquibak from Cardinal Health, you're you're quickly becoming the biosimilar queen, by the way, I don't know, or the godmother. So is it either queen or godmother? Because I'll hashtag that. I don't. It's the first time I've heard that. Um, both of those. So I, I don't know how I feel about it, but I am I am here and happy to support these products and just raise awareness and ensure our pharmacist peers and all healthcare stakeholders understand these products, have clinical confidence in them to ultimately help deliver the promise of biosimilars, which is to enhance affordability and accessibility of critical treatments. I was excited to meet you live at the Assembia event. Um, shout out to the Assembia crew. They, they put out one of the best conferences for specialty pharmacy business. And you were there, you were talking about some of the statistics of biosimilars. And, you know, I came out of that session that you did, Sonia, and I said, well, biosimilars are here to stay. It wasn't a fad. <laughs> and pharmacists have the ones that are most interested in, it, interested in this. There is a very special opportunity for a pharmacist who develops a subject matter expertise around biosimilars. So I want you to kind of open up today to tell us about what you think that opportunity is as a as a clinical, as a data-driven, as a research-oriented pharmacist. Absolutely. So I, I will be preaching to the choir here, um, but I'm going to start by saying 
that for nearly over two decades, doctor of pharmacy or PharmD has been established as the sole professional practice degree for pharmacy and pharmacists in the United States. So when you think about who is best positioned to serve as experts when it comes to novel therapeutics, expanded treatment options like biosimilars and different biologic treatments, pharmacists are the medication experts. So this is a huge and prime opportunity for pharmacists to take the leading role in educating, supporting not only other healthcare stakeholders, but patients on their care journey and really helping create the pathway to help um, all individuals they work with, with maximizing the value of this growing class of product types. So let's kick this off. Next gear is really the future of this sector of, um, of drug development and what you see um, happening in biosimilars in the future. So I, you gave some of this during your session at Assembia, and I'd love to kind of, uh, for those that didn't get to, to hear your, your presentation, just give us some stats of, of where you think this sector of the market is going. When the biosimilars approval pathway was established, which was implemented in 2010 under the ACA, under the Biologics Price Competition and Innovation Act, the purpose of bringing this to fruition was to bring a accelerated pathway for these critical treatments to be approved through the FDA approval process, bring competition to some of the costliest and critical treatment options out there with biologics and therefore lowering costs and enhancing patient access to these treatments. Today, we have 36 FDA approved biosimilars, 21 of them on the market. We could talk about the discrepancy there. Uh, but where we have the vast majority of activity thus far has been the oncology space. So 17 of the 21 on the market have oncology indications. Uh, but to your question, you're asking kind of where are we going? As we look at the pipeline ahead, the focus is going to be in much more expanded therapeutic areas uh, with greater presence in rheumatology. We're getting into retina care diabetes that we now have our first insulin biosimilar and interchangeable biosimilar on the market. So you're going to see expansion to where biosimilars can play a role uh, in, in bringing more treatment options for patients. And as we look at the evolution over the next few years, we're also going to see expansion into sites of care and even reimbursement models on the type of products that are going to come to market. So thus far, we've had heavy presence in the medical benefit, so healthcare provider administered products. Looking ahead, we have much more, I'll say, the dual benefit and more pharmacy benefit products like more insulins, the adalumumabs, um, we get into tocilizumab, all these other products that can cross benefits. So what that does, it expands sites where patients are going to experience receiving um, or administering these treatments. So where I see this headed, and I talked about this at the Assembia presentation, is that pharmacists are going to have an expanded role in supporting patients with biosimilars. And that is because we're going to have more of them involved because this will now bring opportunities in the community setting for pharmacists to support patients on these products. So looking to the markets and where we were, first biosimilar that was US um, FDA approved, 
2015 was the was the year. I think there were 31 biosimilars for 10 originating biologics that were approved um, in the United States. Um, there was there was projections of U.S. savings based on the usage of the usage of biosimilars uh, to to create um, uh, from a, a savings from 730 uh, 737 million uh, in 2009 and growing that up uh, past 23 billion uh, projected in 2027, which translates to a 46 percent uh, annual growth rate. Uh, you know, the economics of this opportunity is part of patient care. As much as I don't want it to be driven per se to that, I do want more people to get the care that they need. And I think biosimilars ushers in a new opportunity uh, based on savings to get the adoption of 340B programs and government funding and anything else involved through the education that we're doing right now on this podcast we're we're announcing you know things happening in our world absolutely i mean this is when we when we talk about drug pricing in the us which nobody debates that right <laughs> but when we look at that and we look at ways that we could tackle it biosimilars are truly a key component of tackling the drug pricing challenges we have in the us i mean they are coming in for the costliest and most critical treatments that we have available. So when you're looking at strategies to address this, biosimilars play a key role. I mean, we've already had savings increase to approximately $8 billion in 2020 alone um, from biosimilars that's continued to continue to increase quite a bit as we have more products come to market. And it's also the reason why you see biosimilars discussed quite frequently in a lot of policy discussions and congressional discussions when they're looking at strategies for tackling drug pricing. Sonia, have you ever thought that your upbringing and your experiences in high school and in college and even through pharmacy school kind of help you prepare for what you're doing? And this is my point of view from from you so far and meeting mm -hmm. you and stalking you on Twitter and <laughs> I mean, on, on LinkedIn and reading about what you're doing, listening to podcasts and oversights. And that is so you were competitive. And you're in a realm of um, the pharmaceutical marketplace and pharmacy care marketplace where you're doing something that is, that is an uphill trek. This is not a downhill environment right now. This is not easy street. Like you're, you're pushing, you're, you're fighting, you're researching, you're developing data to support the next you know, evolution in biosimilar rollout. How did your competitive... Um, background and share with our listeners what I'm talking about, because I don't want to give it away. Um, but how did how did that prepare you, you think, in life experiences, which is this is a shout out to pharmacy students too. understand things that have happened in your past are literally going to help to prepare you for your future. Well, I don't like to go too deep into uh, talking about myself, <laughs> self in that regard. But to your competitive point, uh, I will share that I First of all, I have two older brothers. So let me set the stage there that I did whatever they did. So that, that will give some color as to how I ended up doing these things. Um, but I played soccer my whole life and ended up playing soccer in college as well. Uh, I have a second degree black belt in Kempo Karate. And I was the first female kicker on our varsity high school football team. 
So that's why I started off with, I have two older brothers, <laughs> uh, but I've always, uh, enjoyed sports. I still do very competitive. And I, I actually really enjoy the team nature of being competitive too. I mean, I want to, I want to win as a team and whatever I do, if I'm going to do something, I want to, I want to go for being the best, uh, and win as a group. So if I'm part of an organization, a team, a company, we all want to win together. Uh, and I'm going to give it all I got to, to help us get there. And I think to your point, it's almost that go big or go home mentality and whatever, uh, I, I pursue. And I know many others do too. It, it's the resiliency that also helps you go after some of these bigger dynamics that feel kind of above and beyond you and what, and what you could do. But it's one of those moments that I realize sometimes when I'm thinking of ideas or we see things are challenges and you follow the trail of, okay, what, how can I influence this? And it goes from, okay, let me start with manufacturer discussions. Let's speak with providers. And then you think, oh gosh, this is bigger. This is policy. So it's, it's not just like, okay, this is out of my hands. It's policy. It's no, let's see if we can have a seat at the table with FDA, with CMS and CMMI. So that feeling of just keep going um, as much as you can, I think has, has fed into the way I work today and, and, and all fueled by wanting to serve patients and make a meaningful differences difference in people's lives. So it's now it's like bringing that competitive nature, but on behalf of patients. As a father of four daughters, that is so important that there is an aspect in their lives where they feel what is competition and the feeling of winning, the feeling of preparation, the feeling of working, um, your butt off on something and then losing and experiencing all of that. Yeah. I helps to really helps us to prepare for what we're going to be, um, challenged, uh, to do. And biosimilars is this is not for the, you know, for, for everyone, this, this sector of medicine and healthcare has to be the right individual and you you learned at an early stage in life what losing was because you were probably picked on <laughs> by your, <laughs> your two older brothers because oh, I, yeah. I picked on my sisters um you know yeah shout out for sure tara and Teresa. i picked on both of them <laughs> but it's it's something special that i pick up in people's character when i meet them um the confidence that that people will exude versus maybe not so much shows me a little bit about, you know, the type of people that they are. And there, there are people that don't want to take the leadership role. They want, and there's nothing wrong with that. They, they want to be on the team. They want to be recognized for their individual contributions, but they don't want to be leading um, the biosimilars division at Cardinal health. Uh, one of our largest, you know, wholesaler and healthcare per, provider supporters in, in the entire planet for that, you know, for, for that. And, and so it's special to have that combination and a shout out to our, our young pharmacists. Um, you're, you're looking for career paths. You've been on that, that horrible Reddit board that talks negatively about our industry. Um, pay attention to the people making the, the inroads to new developments, um, grasp on to the pharmacogenomics world, grasp on to the artificial, you know, intelligence world. If, if you like that, you like tech, you like digital therapeutics, find out what biosimilars are and find out what they're projecting. Mm -hmm. As we just shared, Sonia, about 
the extreme amount of money that is being uh, pushed into biosimilars and planned for biosimilars. That means that there's opportunities, by the way, not only to pick up the baton that you're handing to them as a leader in biosimilars, Sonia, but even more importantly, the pharmacist that's going to do something in treatment, leveraging a biosimilar that we really haven't thought about yet because it's it's really never been done. And that research and that leverage and the titration and the multi combinations of medi um, of medications that they're finding through through treatment. So that that to me is exciting because that's the future of pharmacy. Oh, I agree. I think coming into a pharmacy profession, you know, out of school, staying apprised of the advancements in just overall healthcare delivery, where treatments are going to your point. I mean, pharmacogenomics, cell and gene therapy, precision medicine, the role of biosimilars. I mean, these are, it is the future of healthcare. Uh, and, and to be early uh, adopters of this information and to start creating more leadership positions for pharmacists to help elevate the overall U.S. healthcare awareness and preparedness for these products, I think is huge. Where does the pharmacist come into timing and or specific to a treatment for a specific patient when they're talking to the entire care team, they recognize an opportunity. Where do they say, Here, here's would be a good opportunity based on this case to leverage and use a biosimilar? It's going to depend on the type of biosimilar, therapeutic area and site of care naturally. I'll say for, for health system pharmacists, for example, they've been playing a significant role in biosimilars evaluation, utilization, management, and so forth. Because of the, the 21 on the market and 17 of them having oncology indications, other three having uh, rheumatology indications that are provider administered, Pharmacists, the role that they naturally play of having leading positions and P&T committees, driving formulary decisions, understanding the clinical efficacy and safety, and then bringing in the economic impact and making uh, optimal you know, the formulary decisions for the health systems. It's something they do at their core anyway. So that has been happening. And when it comes to looking at opportunities to substitute an originator biologic to a biosimilar, if it's going to deliver cost savings to the patient or the healthcare system, um, these are roles that pharmacists have been playing. Now I say it's going to expand earlier because now that we're going to get more in the retail setting and specialty pharmacies, and we've kicked that off with the insulins, Pharmacists in the communities are now equipped to help identify opportunities of cost savings for patients, especially when you have interchangeability designation. And, and I totally understand we could have a whole separate session talking about that designation. Um, but there is there is some advantages, I will say, at high level, especially for cash paying, underinsured or uninsured patients that may be more exposed to list price of treatments. If you have, for example, an interchangeable insulin biosimilar that has a lower list price, that empowers the pharmacist in the community to automatically substitute the originator to the biosimilar per state laws, which could then bring savings to a patient. There was some great reporting coming out of the ASCO clinical practice guidelines that showed uh, between 2019, uh, July 2019 through March of 2020, an increased use of biosimilars for um, for cancer uh, treatments 
And sure enough, the favorable outcome and what that data, um, uh, you know, brought back in in acceptance of treatment usage, and um, in toxicity reporting, and so it that's exciting. There, there's a paper I'm going to put in our show notes called "Use of Biosimilar Medications in Oncology" by Dr. Uh, Zena Nale, and um, he ha- they have a whole team of, of of physicians that participated in the study. So I want to connect that because I want our listeners to access other information out of your curiosity, but I also want to open up the world of LinkedIn. Listeners, if you're not using LinkedIn, you've got to get on there because we have so many pharmacy professionals that have finally learned to uh, use that social media platform, the communications, the sharing of information. There's sometimes, Sonia, I'm learning things through LinkedIn faster than I am through, you know, a news channel. And by the way, it's coming from trusted sources that I, I agree. There are people in my network. Oh, I completely agree. I mean, I don't have a lot of, well, I try to minimize. I don't have a lot of social media platforms. Um, LinkedIn is where I like to <laughs> like to get that fix of social media, I guess, because it's to your point you kind of get the latest and, and greatest breaking news before you see it in other outlets and key healthcare professionals, those that I highly respect that I constantly learn from when they post something or, you know, they share something, you know, it's going to be good. And then you get to absorb the information as well. So I'm a, I, I'm a big fan of LinkedIn. I'm very active in it. Not even if I'm not posting or sharing, which I try to do when I see something that would be great to, raise awareness on. I use it so much just to learn. Um, to your point, I've seen announcements of, Hey, this, this drug's been approved before the FDA puts out their announcement. So I'm like, Oh, wow. Um, so it is a good, good tool. Yes. I want to give a shout out to our sponsor today, Cardinal health. Um, they joined the, uh, pharmacy podcast network, uh, early, uh, in the year and they put out the counter talk uh, podcast, which has been just terrific working with the team. You were the the latest guest on an episode with uh, with Jeff Baldetti, and um, and I really enjoyed that that episode and, and you sharing. Thank you so much. And and Jeff Baldetti is a director on my team. And if uh, I joke that if anybody is curious how this market's going to play out, he has the crystal ball. Uh, he has a wealth of expertise and experience in this space too. So. Uh, that's that's another individual that could, that does and, and is willing to serve as a resource to anybody who's interested in the space. Also, RBC, the Retail Business Conference is happening July 13th through the 16th. Pharmacy Podcast Network will be there. We're excited to be there. Um, we love RBC. It's going to be in Las Vegas. I'm not excited about Las Vegas. I shared <laughs> that with Sonia already. <laughs> Uh, Sonia and I, we're going to give a shout out to the RBC team. Please pick like Texas <laughs> or Miami or <laughs> why do we always have to go back to Las Vegas, Sonia? Uh, they do have some good food options, even they though it do. is expensive, but it is good food. <laughs> well, regardless, um, the one of the most impressive things about RBC to me when I went to my very first one, I think it was back in either 2015 or 16, it's the Cardinal Kids Camp. And a matter of fact, I'm not sure if that's exactly what they call it, but I think it's kids camp. But I, I remember hearing stories from some of the, um, the, the, the kids that would go there. They would form relationships like at six or seven or eight years Aww. old. And then they would meet their best friends, you know, these friends that they developed back at Cardinal, you know, camp 
And I feel like that was cool because they, they put a lot of focus on, okay, you're a busy pharmacist. You um, hardly have any time to yourself because of the shifts that you're running. Um, why not bring your kids to, you know, to, so that they can have fun, understand your line of business. And then they're talk. think about this. They're talking to other kids that have parents yeah. doing the same thing. They can sit around and make fun of, you know, parents together. Yes, exactly. You know, it's bad when, uh, when I, well, maybe it's good, but I, I laugh sometimes because I'm pretty sure my seven-year-old daughter could hold down a 30 minute presentation on biosimilars at this stage. <laughs> so they definitely listen. <laughs> awesome. That is great. Yeah. When my, um, my Rachel, who's my, um, my 12 year old, she's been on our pharmacy podcast several times talking about kids perspectives on different things. And oh. she like the second time she was on, I was like, how do you know this? And like, <laughs> I do listen to some of your stuff. It's mostly boring, but I do listen to some of your stuff. And I'm like, all right, that's so what you, well, if you're listening out there and you got kids or you have nephews or nieces or whatever, understand you're making an impression for sure. That's so true. All right. Well, we're excited about this. We thank you for, um, for joining us again. I already gave you a, um, a conduit and an invitation, uh, Sonia, if any of your team members, your partnerships, your collaborations want to use this platform to distribute more educational based, good information for our pharmacist leaders out there who are interested in biosimilars all, or they're, they're interested in how to get their health systems more involved as well as some of their own partnerships. Um, please remember uh, PPN is here to, to do all of that and, and distribute that information for you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And then I will likely take you up on that offer. So thank you. Well, that's it. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Pharmacy Podcast. This was Pharmacy Podcast Nation, the RX Influencers. Our very first conference, uh, the RX Influencer Salon, is happening on October 24th in St. Louis. This will be where you can hear from live in real life instead of uh, just in virtual form. Um, all of the trendsetters, all of the pharmacists out there that are doing some amazing things in pharmacogenomics, compounding, entrepreneurial business growth. And one of the most interesting, Sonia, for me is medical cannabis and where the research, the application, the administration, and even um, specific usages of topicals and oils, how that's going to play into ancillary uh, supplemental care to what patients are going through. So I'm excited. If you, if you don't have anything going on in, in October 24th in St. Louis, um, please um, be there. We're, we're going to actually be inviting Cardinal anyway. So um, hopefully we'll, maybe we'll see you there. That sounds fascinating. All right. And with that, we are turning it off and out for the next episode. Please, if there's anything that the Pharmacy Podcast can do for our most favorite provider, the pharmacist out there, please reach out to us. Um, anything we can research for you, find for you, or even uh, develop educational, educational content on the side. And we're paying pharmacists for that now. So if you want to get involved in that, reach out to us and let us know that you heard this episode and give a shout out to uh, Sonia on LinkedIn and, and connect with Sonia as well. Absolutely. I would love that. Thank you.
intimacy is transforming and this transformation is having a major impact on patient care and patient treatment outcomes. Pharmacists are the most accessible healthcare providers throughout the country, and we are taking on more responsibilities as our roles continue to expand. PharmaSalon and the Pharmacy Podcast Network are hosting the first RX Influencer Salon, all about trends and opportunities in healthcare led by pharmacists. The RX Influencer Salon will be a live event taking place in St. Louis on October 24th and 25th. This event will feature four key conference tasks, including compounding, business growth and alternative revenue streams, cannabis, and pharmacogenomics. Led by pharmacists, this salon offers you the opportunity to learn through conversation. You will have the opportunity to learn strategies to help you build your business, excel in your career, and expand your knowledge of the upcoming opportunities in healthcare in a way no other conference provides. Sign up today by visiting pharmasalon.com forward slash rx influencer. That's pharmasalon.com forward slash rx influencer. Pharmacists today are some of the most influential providers in healthcare. So sign up today and join us in St. Louis at the RX Influencer Salon.